0: You're listening to The Web 4 Marketing Podcast, where business owners, digital marketers, and creatives collide. All right, guys.
1: So first, welcome uh, to Digital Marketing Quarterly. We have a, an amazing panel who I'm about to introduce to you guys tonight, uh, talking about web design development and best practices in 2019. Uh, I always like to start by just kind of sharing why we started this group. Um, on the, One of the other uh, things I do is I'm on the board for SEMPDX. Just by a quick show of hands, uh, who's aware of SEMPDX? I am now. Oh, quite a,
2: okay. <laughs> yeah, because I just told you.
1: So SEMPDX was one of the 1st nonprofits set up to support the digital marketing community, so all of you guys. Uh, for students, it's only, it's like super cheap to be a member, and there's monthly events, there's a big annual conference, uh, but it's an amazing group. I'm honored to be a part of that group for over seven years now, but, you know, that's in Portland, and I wanted something like that over here. I wanted to have a community with... Uh, you Because know, there, I'm on the board with a lot of other agencies. We all work together to have this great community and, and really have great events and really support and it help educate the business owners as well as uh, people who are in-house and, and other agencies to keep going there. So, um, With that said, uh, I want to share a couple events that are coming up. Uh, SCMPDX is having a holiday party. It's totally free. It's down at Spirit of 77. It's December 13th, I think, Thursday. Uh, it's on scmpdx.org. So definitely check that out. We have tons of fun, great networking, and all that kind of stuff. Are there any other events coming up that anyone else wants to share, or in the community,
2: or no? Clark registrations open? There Just you so go.
1: That. Little shout out for Clark. It's good. All right. It's close. cool. cool. <laughs> wow. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get going. I want to start out and introduce you to Matt Cole of Revere. Uh, he's a California native to current Pacific Northwestern uh, homesteader. Uh, he's a creative director and designer with over 15 years' experience in branding, marketing, and digital media, known for exceptionally crafted work blending timeless simplicity with modern complexity that offers collaborative and innovative solutions, and his passion is fueled by storytelling, engagement, and problem solving. So let's give a big hand for Matt Holt. Woo! Uh, and then uh, Bruce, right here, Bruce Elgort, did I pronounce that right? Uh, that's correct. Oh, nice. You get an A. Uh, yes. He's an instructor, a, a technology professor at Clark College, an award-winning instructor there. Uh, he's working hard to inspire and challenge his students with meaningful web development and programming experiences. Uh, with a skinny vanilla latte, no foam in hand, Bruce loves to tinker <laughs> and test the boundaries of existing and emerging technologies to then guide hungry minds through memorable educational journeys to showcase with passion the ever-evolving innovations of society. An industry leader, Bruce, is known for co-developing oh, El Very good idea jam software and is recognized by IBM as an IBM champion for being an innovative thought leader in cloud technologies. So, thank you for being with us (laughs) today. Alan, Mr. McGuinness, is an accomplished developer with proven ability to create experiences in which technology disappears in service of the user. He's a detail-oriented, but also flexible and able to see and connect many disparate components of a complex ecosystem. In his free time, Alan enjoys camping with his wife, woodworking, building small electronics, and hanging out with his three cats. And ducking us to play. Um...
3: Oh, you're the one ducking out. okay. Oh, okay. Right.
4: <laughs>
3: Let's
1: give a big hand for Alan. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Jason Wright with Web4. He's a Web4's chief creative officer. He has uh, 20 years experience in the creative and digital marketing industry. Insanely knowledgeable and talented around design, user experience, and development, uh, while process and system development comes a second nature for Jason. His ultimate goal is to deliver a great experience for uh, web well, for clients. When not at work, Jason produces the Crafting Creative podcast, designs amazing visual experiences, develops independent film projects—I <laughs> was about to say projects—projects, <laughs> hikes, <laughs> and also finds time to birdwatch and many other things. Let's give a huge hand for Jason! And- amazing. Oh,
0: thanks I dyed it just for you. we get
1: a little envious you know sometimes but this is by bald by choice <laughs> BBC that's what is. Less wind resistance. yes that's right you're more aerodynamic okay. alright I want to go ahead and start off um, with some questions and I'll throw it out to the audience so start thinking of questions that you might have as well we got a, a long list here but uh, one of the things that people want to know is and I'll, I'll start with you Bruce but open to everybody oh yeah Bruce likes to be first in the class. Okay. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Hilarious. Uh, progressive web apps. Progressive web apps. How
2: do they work? What are they for?
1: What's, uh, why are they in the future? What's well,
2: imagine having a web application that worked like a native application, but it was written in HTML, JavaScript, used what we call a web manifest file and some pretty heavy-duty JavaScript to work uh, online, and offline. And again, um, it has to run on HTTPS, so it needs to uh, be on a secure site. And uh, again, imagine not having to know like uh, Apple Swift or Android Java to write mobile apps, but you could just write offline apps and online apps in HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Does that help? That's super helpful. Yeah, it's not as easy as it's the mm-hmm. progressive web app sounds, but it's doable. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's pretty amazing. I think a lot of uh, <coughs> apps in general, native apps, will probably start going the way of the dodo bird over time, and it'll be more of a combination
2: of a progressive web app. Yeah, is that what you're thinking too? Yeah, or? that's what? what I'm thinking. All right. Anybody? And have I experimented with it yet? A little bit, but not enough. Over Christmas break.
1: Oh. <laughs> You'll have to report back to us. Yes, sir. There's a lot of complexities around that, but we won't get into all of that today. I want to throw it out to the audience for a couple questions, and then um, I have a whole list of questions
5: if anybody has there. So. Go ahead.
1: Just throw it out if you have any questions.
5: On that topic or different
1: topic. Any topic. Like, I mean, it can even not be web design development related. It can just be, no, I'm just kidding. It should be web design, we'll design development related. Stay focused. Yeah, exactly. Stay focused.
3: we <laughs> can talk about cats. Okay, if you want, I can write a blog on it. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah.
5: Um, any advice or experience, and I would say to keep to like one point <laughs> on um, putting yourself in the place of a client or customer looking at a website. Like, that, are you are you saying
1: uh, how to judge a website from the client perspective to yeah, see like if if, it's, if you're
5: a business owner?
1: Yeah.
5: How do you get yourself how to figure it, out? Because like questions. the journey, you want to take your client on a journey. That's yeah. not like here's a bunch of nomenclature. <laughs> like you know, you got to speak to them. You got to get them like you got to hit their pain points through your website. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on
3: that. I think that's a wonderful question. Wants to, everyone wants to well, jump on that. Jason's probably more knowledgeable, but I'll fill in the, the details he doesn't uh, answer.
0: <laughs> Go for it.
3: I would say personas. Um, yeah. You're going to create user personas and really try to think of multiple types of users who are going to access the website how they're going to navigate it um you know what their priorities are when they're visiting um your website where they find what it is they're looking for is it buried in a menu is it the first thing that's right there um are you trying to predict what they're looking for when the page loads um and yeah you can get really deep with uh personas I have never written them I've been a part of teams building them but um, I know TVC was a good good case for them mm-hmm. um, So yeah really depends on the size of the client if they have the budget for
0: that. Uh, Matt will probably chime in here as well but part of it is your salesmanship abilities part, a big part of it is just one listening and understanding what the client wants and taking your experience, knowledge, and plugging that into something that makes sense for them based on the story that they're trying to tell. And sometimes that means you're going to implement some things that are counter to kind of what they said originally, but ultimately you going in and presenting that design is about you explaining how you came to tell that story within the the site or the design that you have. So something that I find that um, is sort of a repeating thing is a client will come in. They feel they know exactly what they want, and they rattle it off. and Then you ask them who their uh, best buyers are, and they're like, What just you know, we just want to make more business or you know have more phone calls." And you dig deeper. You get into the persona side of things. You really start understanding the story. So um, I'll just summarize and say that salesmanship and really uh, being confident about your work and in achieving the goals is the biggest thing that I think about every time I'm presenting.
4: So I, I was just going to clarify. Is, 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 is the question more about as you're selling a website, and what you want your client, or you as a business owner, what you want people to get to your website? Yeah.
5: Yeah, I know yeah. that Jason was just saying something else, but I got it. No, I yeah, reverse, and I, yeah.
4: I can reverse the, the uh, way of I, at it. Okay, yeah. I'll pay you back on what both yeah, them said. I, really I, I always feel like a like a good here. <laughs> a good website should be like a um, I always say like a guided tour, right? Like you yeah. you um, you're. You're, you're guiding them down where you want them to go, but you're also giving them the choices. So at the end of it, you're saying, hey, you can choose your own adventure, but it's also kind of restricted to the way that you want them to go, and that should ultimately point towards conversion of, of, uh, of whatever 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 you identify as conversion-free website. But great content that's telling a great story that is engaging, that kind of leads them down, like, you know, the pathway, if you're scrolling down a page and you have an option to go to, you know, this link, or this page, or, or or something like that. But you want to you want to just guide them through the whole site, so that they know that suddenly, like they're navigating through the site, they're kind of weaving their way through it, and they might get there get to the ultimate conversion route. Maybe it's click to buy, um, but they're going to you know through different routes. But they're getting what they need along the way because you're helping them make a choice, and you're guiding that choice for them. And that, I, whenever we approach website design, I mean that that's kind of that's kind of what we always start out as you know the guided tour aspect of it. To in, and also give them a little bit of choice, but it's the choices we want them to make, which is not click out. Right.
2: So. One thing I'd like to add is when you do do those personas, make sure that some of those personas include people with uh, visual uh, disabilities, cognitive disabilities, yeah. uh, maybe they don't have the use of their arms or, or things like that. That's a
5: really good point. I've seen a lot of that happening on Instagram,
2: mm-hmm.
5: which has been in, like them, people are putting captions for visually
2: impaired. Right. Twitter and Instagram both support alternative uh, text formats for pictures and tweets and pictures in uh, Instagram.
1: Yeah. One of the things I loved <clears throat> is um, they just uh, updated schema markup for what's readable on a website, meaning that... Because if you ever not a lot of people in here do it. I listen to websites all the time. I just play the audio and it just plays it. But if you have a whole ad there, it just tells you all the code that's in the ad. And if you guys spend like five minutes listening to it. So that's one of the things about accessibility uh, is now schema will tell you where to start the reader so that the person who is visually impaired can actually get right to the point as opposed to like going, okay, what's going on here? This is like a bunch of code and numbers. So yeah. Cool. Is that a good answer for your question? I think so. Does that help anyone
5: else? I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot. I, I, I will say, from a from a client's perspective, it's hard without a lot of the uh, education. But if it loads quickly, all those things is, is good, right? So I want to um, turn it over to to Alan and just ask a little bit about um, browser compatibility, things like that. Or when you're building a website, uh, are you looking at all browsers? Like, is Internet Explorer still something you
3: <laughs> you're focusing on? Like uh, some people will say unfortunately, um, but it is, uh, you really got to think that when you are at your computer all day and Chrome, which is probably what a lot of people are using, you tend to focus on what Chrome can do and you need to think about what other browsers can do. What can, what kind of, uh, advantages can you take of from Safari or Firefox or IE um, and then that comes back to salesmanship, too, is what do your customers expect? Is that something that they expect to do? They No site is going to work the same across all browsers is what it comes down to. So really need to take into consideration um, who is going to be using the site and where they're going to be coming from. Some, some clients can only use Internet Explorer in their office. It's mandated by their policies. So really need to take that into consideration for sure. Yeah. One thing that I like to do is go to the library and use their <laughs> computers to look
2: at it because that's what the majority of computer users use is something like that, right out of the box. Yeah. And yeah. that gives you uh, quite a bit of insight. <laughs> <laughs> if you want people to access
1: your site from enterprise companies, you definitely want to cover Internet Explorer, despite how tiny it Exactly.
4: I always say it should just be whatever your client is using. least make sure it looks good on that browser. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: Minimum MVP. They'll get that phone call.
3: Yeah. It was all the time. Great.
1: <clears throat> and then, uh, Jason, I wanted to ask you, in your design, in kind of the design dev workflow, and this is really for everybody, but uh, in the design dev workflow, what does pixel perfect
0: mean to you? This is a, it's a great topic that... Um, touches on a few different things. So when you talk about pixel perfect development, really, it's, that's kind of the thing, I don't know if you you guys, yeah, um, something happens that's quite interesting when you go from design to development, which is you might have all kinds of like specific details in mind, uh, certain compositions, certain sizing of boxes, it hits dev, it comes back, and it's just not like... <laughs> You know, it's just, just it's missing the special flow or whatever it had before. And, and I, think, I think you have to be careful because sometimes um, Pixel Perfect is often paired with like micromanaging a developer. Um, whereas I think about it as if I am designing something, I'm trying to create the best product that I can, that gets to the goals, accomplishes the things that I want the user to do on the site, and then when I hand that off on the development side, I'm hoping they're doing their piece where they can get as close to the, the vision um, as they can. Not necessarily 501 pixels versus 505 pixels wide, but you know, close enough to where it's the same feel, it's the same vibe, because I can't do what that person does and vice versa. And so to me, their premium level skill set is that skill of getting really, really close.
2: Every pixel has an owner.
3: <laughs> I always um, just say, if I can't tell, you can't tell.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's my developer. Really. That's a developer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I always say on, on that too, like like I because I, I get really kind of like neurotic with it. I'm, like, I'm obsessed <laughs> over like pixels and stuff. You know, I like everything to be very exact. And so, um, but I also I believe that like whenever you're doing a build, you have to think that you're not the only one participating in that build. I mean, you, you most of the time you're not. So you have. Your developer working side by side with you and i i always think it's important to give them something that's kind of like uniform to go off of so like i i do the old school box like i'll do like you know 100 pixel boxes or whatever that's just speaking as my spacers. so that at least it's uniform all the way through so they know like you know the gutters this much so is going to be always this much between columns or it's going to be you know space between you know containers or something like that are going to have you know a uniform so that once they once they get once they know what what kind of your your unit of you know of measurement is or, or you know what your spacing is, you know, then the, it's that's easier for them to follow and then things kinda of start to fall in line, you know, with so they're not guessing five oh seven pixels, you know, yeah. versus five oh eight or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. Something, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna add something that is really helpful and critical to the process. Um, and I, I talked about this actually a couple months back in a presentation in your class. And that is giving the developer an opportunity to look at the design before the client does. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And when you do that, uh, they can come back and say, hey, you know, that wiggly line you have floating out in space looks great, but in terms of, like, achieving that across devices, I don't know. That's something I can do. So, you know, here we get developer uh, buy-off as much or as often as we can before then we go and present to the client.
3: I'd say to have a good uh, design system in place so that when he's showing me this, I'm not rewriting you know, all the code again. I have a good foundation to go off of. Um, depending on what you develop in, you can write mix-ins to calculate everything for you, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, fine. I understand exactly what you're saying, rather than, oh, how am I gonna build that? Do I use Flexbox here? Do I, what do I do here? You already know, yep. and you have a good foundation. So Okay. Can I follow up on two of those yeah. questions? Okay, so going back to pic- Pixel Perfect, I, mm. I have two lines of thought. Developer to graphic to client, that's kind of the progressive process. And then the other is, is this something you work on for an MVP
4: or is it like stage two, stage three, stage four? Mm. That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't like the MVP. I'm I'm a a perfectionist. I I I, I like things (laughs) to be perfect out of the box. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. We work with a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, where you where you where you kind of have that battle, right? And I I feel like there's like a necessary tension between what what does your design team want to produce that is gonna you know is gonna be perfect and have all the you know like all of the glory that you want to have when it comes out. You know, when when it goes live. Versus getting it done so, you know, the client can get on to making money, right? Because yeah. that's what ultimately what our job is to do is taking stuff to market, helping our clients generate revenue and grow their businesses, right? So, to me, I, I, I feel like, you know, uh, it becomes like a process question and everything I'm hearing here is it's, it's really about process. So, like, when you go from designer to developer to client, you know, we always do a, a design dev handoff. Like, when we get to that point... Um, where, you know, if we're, if we have a big web build, we're saying, okay, now we're going to stop. We've gotten design approval from the client, it looks great in Envision, it looks great in, you know, Sketch or whatever, what they're looking at it in, but what's it going to look like, you know, when you get it to, to the dev, to the dev side, so it doesn't look all kind of a little bit off. You want it to still look good. And so the way we do that is we, um, we always have like a, you know, it's usually a two hour session at minimum where we go through every little thing we talk about, like what is the design thinking behind this? So the developer can know, okay, this is what the designer was in the designer's head, this is what they were trying to think, this is what the cl- they sold to the client, this is how I reproduce that, you know, on a live website. And So the processing is really crucial as far as building something that's solid on the end. So. And to, for the MVP,
3: the thing is, when you have a good team, they know it's expected, so when something hasn't been outlined for them, you know to the smallest detail, they know what is expected and like can think about what you would have done. And like, if I don't have a complete mobile conflict, comp, like, oh, I should know because here's what we've done in the past, here's generally how it'll look. So, yeah, so just, have a good team. <laughs> I, I think, in terms of a 501 pixel versus a 508 pixel, like, yeah, is from the client's perspective, is that something that I should know, or I should pay attention. No. I, you guys ain't
1: God? I would, uh, I would also say, just uh, you know, you guys don't really agree or not, but it, it really greatly depends on who you're rolling it out to. Who is the audience of this MVP? If it's you know like a small beta group of people, it's not going to be as big a deal. If it's a public rollout, you know, or something like that, the audience is going to vary. You know, it's going to make a big impact on. Should that. we
2: define what MVP is for those who don't know? Oh, minimum viable product. Minimal viable Minimal viable product. product. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, good good point, it's that the, the thing you can get out there as quick as possible to get movement forward, test the waters, all that kind of stuff. So.
4: yeah, I think I think Pixel Perfect is also kind of relative, right, de- de- yeah. depending on, like, like you said, the, the context of your website. So one thing that's really in right now, like you'll see a lot of, is a lot of overlapping elements and stuff like that. So, like, designers love to just kind of, like, mix it up. Having text break across into, like, an, an image or something like that, you know. And then we start doing that and you have, like, kind of responsive lips, widths and everything, you're kind of, you know, flexing things, you know, you're, you're going to run into that where it's never, ever going to be perfect, I feel like. Um, so as long, like what Alan was saying, as long as if I don't notice, you're not going to notice. But, but there's times when, you know, if, if you're working within kind of a very strict grid, then you want to have it that way. But I, I mean, design, build something according to the standards that your, your team has, and then also that your client is expecting as well. I think that's probably the best way to go.
1: Cool. Any other questions before I jump on to the next one? Just wait, and if you have a question, just so you guys know, feel free to raise your hand and I'll... We'll
5: you get to you next time. talk about that, because it's best about best practices, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you yeah. going to talk about the overlapping and
1: style? Uh, we'll probably get to that some more. Um, <laughs> I have a couple other questions, but we'll remember to come back to that. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to just talk a little bit, because we were talking about this before, with assess- accessibility and web development. How important is that? Um, are you, are you <laughs> focusing on that a lot, you... uh, thinking about the accessibility for you know, everyone from visually impaired to all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you want to take this,
2: Bruce, or... Uh, you... Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm kicking off a unit this week on accessibility. And most people, when they think of accessibility, right, think of someone who's blind, right? They don't think about maybe somebody who has maybe macular degeneration or has... Uh, hearing issues, or they, have, they don't have the use of one limb, like an arm, or they have to use their mouth with a, uh, like a, a sip-and-puff device in order to control what's going on. There's so many different things that, um, that go into accessibility nowadays. It's not simply a little switch that you can flick, right? Uh, talking about accessibility in general, there is a set of guidelines put out by the W3C, they're the people who write the standards for the web, called the Web Content Access- Accessibility Guidelines. And they have uh, three grading systems that you're asked to meet if you're going to create a website that meets these guidelines. You have A, AA, and AAA. And they give you all of the ways to implement all of these different guidelines. And it's it's a pretty freaking extensive and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of testing no one is going to cover every disability or combination of disability um because it can get it can get pretty complex but there are plenty of tools out there now that will help developers uh, and people designing sites to make their sites uh be uh more um accessible to as many people as, as you can mm-hmm. as a developer. Cool. So.
5: Are there things like apps or sites you can run your site through?
2: Yeah, there are. Top disability. Yeah. So just so you know, for those of you who are developers out there, if you run Chrome mm-hmm. uh, seventy and above, mm-hmm. there is an accessibility auditing tool in Chrome, and there's also the ability to inspect any element on your page by uh, right-clicking on it, going to Inspect Element, and one of the tabs available now, it's all the way on the right, is called Accessibility, which will tell you uh, the various properties that screen readers will have to that particular element, and whether it's identifiable by a screen reader. Um, Yeah, and the other thing I want to mention, how many people have Macintoshes out there or work on a Mac? Mac has uh, something called VoiceOver. It's an accessibility tool. I I use it sometimes. Uh, It can be really annoying sometimes, but one of the great tools in that you should, as a developer, run is, um, it's a command F5, is the keystroke, turns on accessibility, and then you hold down uh, uh, control option U, and it brings up what they call the rotor. And the rotor is this screen that shows you all of the heading tags, all of the various links on the page, and you could literally uh, arrow, right arrow, and left arrow through. And it could, we, we teach students about creating semantic markup, and using that, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what did I call it? Rotor? Is that what I called it? it? Will give you a quick idea of how accessible your site is to screen readers. That's awesome. Yeah, so there you go.
3: Chrome has several extensions that'll let you experience the site as well, you know, like. Shaky mouse or narrow vision. Yeah, I think I'm probably incorrect, but I think it's called like Wave. But you can just search the extension store and just experience it. And there's also, uh, you know, groups around. You can just ask people like how they use the websites. If you know, you just go out and if you don't have you know a disability, you're not going to know. Like go to some groups and see how they work.
1: Go ahead, Eric. I would add that by far. Common disabilities that can affect your click-through rates and your, you know, won't affect your Google SEO. Or whatever that is not caught by all these successful
2: things is color and color contrast. Yes, yeah, WK. I, I learned that in a presentation. Where the lead of a group just didn't say anything for a while, and finally she went. I can't read anything with purple. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, and started looking into it.
2: And color alone cannot convey meaning to to actionable things on a site. That's one of the WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. There has to be some other cue on the page other than the color that lets the user what that change in color signifies.
1: So I wanted to follow up, and this will kind of maybe dovetail off your other question about uh, overlaying elements and things like that, but I wanted to ask you guys how important you think it is to follow the trends. There's a lot of, you know, different trends, and I think the web as a whole is... um, you know, seems to be coming towards very similar trends across the industry. So how, how important do you think it would be to, to follow trends?
0: Um, I'll start and say that, uh, you know, you can go online and, and find what the 16 top web trends are today and, and create some designs that model that. But the reality is, is that everything you do should revolve around what you're trying to accomplish for that page, for that user, and um, there's some specific things that I try and, and not do, which is have things like uh, black background with white text and a small font makes it extremely hard to uh, read. Uh, people with vision <coughs> impairment, it's very difficult. Um, you have to know your audience because maybe, maybe you have a website where you're selling a service to uh, 55 and up or 65 and up, their vision might not be as strong. And so when they see a site that has you know, black background or white text, that can be really hard that can get them to leave so i whenever i do a design project i start by doing a little bit of research but my research is not on trends it's on uh what other people are doing inside that industry and outside that industry and i look for things that i think make sense based on the goals for the page Um, there's i know there's a lot of people who uh, try and mock their site after all the current top trends that are happening now that's not always the best thing either uh, that can get in a situation where uh, you're forcing users to think too much because you're trying to meet some trendy thing. The user is drunk.
3: I'm going to say that regardless of how well your site looks, uh, he's mentioned, Matt's mentioned it as storytelling. Like, I cannot believe how many people are still in disbelief that you have to have good content. They're like, well, it just looks great, but if... You, if you don't have great information about it or, like, you may think you have great information about it, but if you don't have somebody from the outside reflect on it with you, like, they might think your content's crap. Like, you can't make a good website without great content.
2: Were you focusing more on the technologies? Like, hey, have you seen the new React package or, you know, any of this stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like to add that I like to dabble and test out and feel out certain things but I also like to have depth of knowledge and I don't invest in things that uh, I, I wait I, I don't like to be bleeding edge I, I I'll play with I'll play with the things and just dabble but not enough to like yeah let's go do it I, I need I need time and I need to see how the market develops and whether there's so many like JavaScript frameworks that have come and gone and I don't want to be part I don't want to deploy a site and then find out that hmm. It, that that framework's dead.
3: Yeah. I have a strategy where I have one website that I try to recreate with all of like Node.js, React, like just to see like just so you know what the technologies are good for. Like it may sound cool, but it may not be the right solution for your mm-hmm. goals. So we're talking a lot about creating
1: a good user
2: experience for. User, how they interact with the website, how they get funneled through your, your lead funnel, um, accessibility and all that. How do you approach making a good user experience
3: for the client in terms of managing the back
2: end of the website that's been provided to them, um, assuming the website does have some sort of back end or some sort of way to manage content or elements? You mean duct tape and bubble gum? That? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, At Gravitate, we use a system where it's kind of up in the air. I like for users to have complete control over their website. Sometimes that's a terrible (laughs) idea. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes. So most of the backends I build are not necessarily restrictive. You still have a lot of options, but you can't change the overall design of the element. So when they're building their site, it's they build it in blocks. It's like, I want a CTA with this color and here's the text. Do I want a button? Maybe, you know, we come up with a couple of different button designs, like restrict it, but give them like, end users always want to feel like they're in control. So like, as long as you provide a little bit of that, like most of the time, I don't see any problems with our clients, like, you know, having issues with it. And if they want another feature added, then like, we look at it, is it reasonable? Why do you want it? Is it gonna convert? Like,
2: as someone who shipped commercial software to companies all around the globe, the one thing we focused on at the beginning was developing the administrative interface mm-hmm. and not leaving it as an afterthought, mm-hmm. which a lot of developers tend to do. So, not you guys.
3: I tend to format my back end as questions. Like, what What are you trying to accomplish? Like, oh, what color would you like to choose? Like. And, I'm, and if you choose a certain color, I, I let you know what colors go along with that color. Like, so you're not lost as you're building things.
4: We use the same, pretty much I think the same sort of system that Gravitate uses, using content blocks and you know, how you build out uh, the back end and mostly in WordPress. And, and so as a designer, we always begin with the, you know, a style board or style tile is mm-hmm. what we call it. And we always provide options for it. And like you said, so, that, so nobody's left guessing when they're building that out how many different button styles do you have? How many different textiles do you have? Define all those up front. And then also create in a way that when they want to input new content, the idea is that you can hand them over a site that they can drive themselves and without making it look like a disaster. I mean, they, we've all seen that site, right? And so you want, you want to give them something where you say, hey, this is where your headline's going to go. And we've already defined this is going to be in an H2 or you know H1 or H2 or something like that. You're going to put that in there. It's just going to pop up that way. And then this is going to be your paragraph text right here and then your, your CTA. Um, but when you do that, you get a... Users like it better. They find that they can manage it easier, and then also you're you're giving them choices up from the, even from as early as design what that looks like. So you can say, do I want this, you know, uh, text link, you know, the t- textile button, or do you want kind of a container sort of button, like a little rectangle or something like that? And, you know, if, if they have options and they know what's going to ultimately work for the overall style of the website.
0: I'll add um, one of the things that can happen is when when you get into a situation where maybe a client can only alter the maybe main image of the page and some headers and a text block. Sometimes there's some friction there in that the question comes up, why can't I just change whatever I want? And uh, one of the things I generally come back to is we have it built in a way to ensure the integrity of the goals that we were looking to accomplish for that page. Mm -hmm. By doing ABC, you're hurting your ability to convert users, or send them to your store, or, you know, take some other action.
1: That's good. I wanted to talk a little bit about CRO, conversion rate optimization, for those who, uh, in the acronym world, is, um, I have a lot of questions around this, but one of the, the very big questions we've been talking about for years, and is still a topic of discussion, is, is above the fold, you know, <laughs> still important. <laughs> you can tell, like, oh. uh-huh. yeah. So...
3: Love to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to say no, Um, right out of the gate. Most people above above the the fold to above the fold content because. So uh, let me give you a brief explanation. What's got a newspaper?
1: Back back in the day, uh, back in the day, newspapers were like this. What was above the fold on the newspaper was what really got traction, right? Right. So on a website, when you open a browser, it depends on the size of the browser, and if you're on mobile, that is the above the fold area, the visual space that you can see initially when it loads. So your question I, was, is, is it important platform? for people converting? Is them understand. seeing the message? you saying no. Uh, I have a feeling it, there's going to be
3: difference. In it really the depends on, on what kind of content you have above the fold, but most people, it's 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 like a flashy topic. It's just one of those. <laughs> I things. bet we
2: all agree. Let's let's go. Let's go through it. <laughs> go uh,
3: most people aren't. That content right there isn't enough to convince somebody to do whatever it is you're asking them to do. They need to scroll down the page, and if. You read studies, most people, when they land on your page, the first thing to do is start scrolling. Yeah. Because you're not looking for whatever's right there, like, so. I think, a, no, there's lots of yeah. research behind it that I'm not going to be able to cite right now, but.
5: I'm in your camp. <laughs> I'm a
4: business owner. <laughs> I'm in his camp, too. Oh. I'm in his camp. See, I told
2: you. I did not. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not either. either. You need to hook but, in that above yeah. the fold to get him to scroll down. So.
0: Exactly. So I'm, Just I'm actually scroll. right in the middle, which is, it all matters.
3: Yeah. It all matters.
0: You know, like, yeah. being able to find a phone number quickly if you have a, you know, pipe burst emergency and hitting the site and this you know this company offers 24-7 service, the phone number. Exactly. So it depends, again, on, on what you're trying to accomplish. But you're, to your point, you're right. There's a lot of people who hit the site and scroll down. There's also a lot of people, uh, depending on their the actual user intent, go for that main thing they're looking for. So if they are looking for custom-made bibs and they do a search for that, they click a link and hit the site, they're immediately looking for that category, most likely at the top of the page. They feel it's going to be a store. They look for bibs, and they click it. So it just depends on what you're going after. And what you Are you're talking about achieve. baby bibs? Yes. Oh, I always scroll. <laughs> <two> <laughs> but, you know, if you have, like, a financial advisor site or a lawyer... Uh, you're probably spending more time kind of like reading through the content or at least hitting the bullet points, the headers, or the photography to see, if, can I trust this guy or gal? Do they seem nice? Are they going to chew me up? You know, and get a little bit more context.
3: I absolutely agree with Jason. Um, the way people tend, in and, and my experience, tend to interpret above the fold is not necessarily about those messages. They're like, Oh, I created this really cool graphic, and I always want it to be visible when you land on my page. They're focused on the wrong use of above the fold. Right. And so you have to guide them and let them know what the uses are. And totally, if, if you're a plumbing website or whatever, of course it is. But most of the time, the way it's interpreted is not valuable.
2: Bob, did you have a question before? I have a question for you, Bruce. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> you spent
3: a good part of the summer exploring
0: a number of emerging and supported web technologies and, and uh, put together 10 weeks of this stuff. What are some of the highlights there and some topics that maybe some of these other folks can lay
2: into a little bit here as well? Oh, wow. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> of course. It's my job. Uh, wow. Topics? Wow. Mm. Can we do that one at the end? So you can imagine, you can
0: think about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sounds good. You know, and and by the way, you know, uh, it's related to UX and best practices and whatnot. Uh, I went to Clark College at a time where uh, Bob was teaching about 11 years ago. Um, By the way, if it weren't for Crystal and Bob, I probably wouldn't have continued at Clark. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, But one of the things that always comes to mind, literally every time I'm designing something, is two things: uh, the book "Don't Make Me Think," and also "Let the Bits Go," which is something Bob would say a lot in the past. Um, so when i put something together, I'm like, don't don't force the user to try and like figure it out what it is that should be happening here. Just just help them, guide them through to where you want them to go.
1: Yeah, and we have to give credit that "Don't Make Me Think" came from Stephen Krug's book, yeah. which if you're not familiar with, you should have it around because of nothing else, it can help your clients. Have them read it, and they will have a better understanding of what it is to communicate with your end user. Mm-hmm. I think the user is drunk is basically just a remake of that same book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or your your baby is ugly. That's another one. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Everyone thinks their website is like, it's like their baby. They think it's beautiful. Yeah, baby's ugly? Yeah. 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 They think their website's
2: beautiful. They're like, oh,
1: I love this website. And it's like, it's this is weird baby is ugly sorry but you don't want to ever tell everyone when their baby is ugly how do you tell them that? actually that's a great question how do you tell someone their baby is ugly
2: you put them below the fold <laughs> you move their website down
1: like how do you communicate that to a client like when you're going in there though cuz you're talking to a client and you want to improve their you know improve their design improve their yeah. their the number of conversions and they have this website that is just detracting from it and they are all, all sold on it. They love it. So what do you, what do you do with
4: that? We, so we, we always, we always set up our, our, conversations saying that, you know, like kind of like this pledge. them, not saying our pledge to you is, but, but we, we come in like with this sort of genuine attitude of like, Hey, we're interested in, and in what you are doing. We're interested in helping you. And what we mean by helping you is like asking all the tough questions, you know? So uh, my story I probably told earlier tonight was we had a client earlier this year. We had our first meeting with them and they brought us in because they wanted a, a whole new e-commerce website. We're like, okay, cool, that sounds interesting. We like to we like to do e-commerce, um, and so we started asking questions, right? And we told them at, at the very beginning, hey, this first meeting, we're just listening to you. We're going to ask a lot of questions, and we're going to ask you some hard questions to make you think about your brand and who you are, and we're and then we're going to make some recommendations based on that. And um, and so we did. We we asked a lot of questions, and one of the things that came out of it is like, hey, what, so what do you feel about? You know, your, your, your visual identity, your logo, everything like that. Oh, it's great. We had this designer from Nike who was freelancing, designed this logo for us. You know, it's great. The logo is not going anywhere, you know, and we say, okay, well, what, what about your name? I was like, frankly, your name's kind of hard to say. What do you think about that? Uh, well, we love our name. We've been in business for 25 years, blah, blah, blah. You know, so uh, long story short, new logo, new company name, like new, not in, in addition to a new, a new e-commerce website, like be, you know, I, I always tell people have the courage to mm-hmm. ask tough questions of your clients. And make them think. So as we get into the personas, like you were saying, if you ask tough questions, you're going to have that much better of an experience for them. They're going to get what more of what they're looking for, what they need for their business, and then also, you know, you're going to get a little bit more rewarding work. But we always, we always just feel like, hey, we're just going to be candid up front. Like I'm going to make an assessment on this, and you can take it or leave it. But I'm going to be totally blunt in a attackable way. But I, I, I want to say. Here's what we think of it. Here's what we think based on our expertise. And if you're bringing us in as experts in this in this field, then just take it for what it's worth, and we can do we can proceed however you want. So it's also a good gauge, and if it's a good fit for you to work with that client, we like to work with clients who like to push envelope a little bit. Uh, we like clients who like to think through tough questions too. So like if they're resistant to change or resistant to anything you're, you're saying, then that's kind of an indicator early on that that might not be a good client relationship either.
0: I think it's really one thing that's really tough about design and, and working with clients, in and on the design side of things, is understanding that it's back to the baby thing. Uh, it's not your baby; it's theirs. You know, it, it's their business, it's their brand, and we can come in and do that, which is say, you know, this name or this logo or hey, this color. Make suggestions, alterations. They could go for it. They could not go for it. The biggest thing is to have a very collaborative mindset and go in with the understanding that you might as a as a creative be putting a lot of emotional energy into it because you're thinking deeply about all the ins and outs the sizes the shapes the colors the pictures all those things but at the end of the day they can come in and say hey we want purple to be green and you have to come in and say you know maybe that's a good idea or you know here you know i i I see what you're going for let's try something in the middle and you know create a better experience here um, sometimes I'll sit in a client meeting on the spot and we'll do design together. and some some designers will feel like oh, you're just a human mouse at that point because the client's like telling you what to do and how to do it. that's that's not the case. they They might have a vision, but I'm the one holding the brush with the the um, you know the canvas up front of me and and I have all the opportunity in the world to kind of craft that experience that makes sense..
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it because it's such, a, uh, such an important thing to help guide the client in the right direction. I think it's like oh, a, lot of, a lot of clients, they love their website. They think it's the best thing since sliced bread. But one thing you can do is like use usability hub or something like that and get some real data where it's not just like, hey, this is what it feels. It's like, no, let's actually put this up side by side and, and have users actually look at it and test it and give you some real feedback too put some messaging up there. Have them come to your website and tell them in five seconds can they tell you what that website's about. Yeah. You'll find some <laughs> mm-hmm. some very surprising uh, things there. So, um, I wanted to just ask you guys to maybe share with some of the audience. We have a lot uh, of students and, and a number of other people that uh, want to get a better idea of different either tools or resources maybe that you could recommend across the spectrum that could be helpful in, in thinking about. I mean, this could be everything from SEO on the website to CRO to to design to development just any tools I'd love to just give a dump of tools so that they everyone can maybe write some of these down and get different resources or tools uh, that you have I know we use a lot of them
4: Ooh, we'll go down and run and yeah uh, I yeah, for, for web design I'm, I'm a big fan of Envision I just love everything that Envision's doing right now and um, for prototyping. And you can do some pretty complex prototypes there to show the client in real time like what theoretically is going to look like before it ever, ever goes to Dev. And I, I'm a big fan of it, I, I have just, and, and not not to mention just Envision as an organization, they have a lot of good content they put out there, a lot of free tools that they give you, um, their blog is fantastic. So I, I say this to everyone, I should, they should start paying me because I, I really like what Envision is doing, I like the tools they offer. And it's worth every penny I, I, I pay them every month, just to just to have a good prototyping app available to me. It's
3: cloud based, right?
4: It is cloud based. Yes. Yeah.
3: They'll yeah. just buy out, or they're teaming up with Confluence. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll go with. I'll limit it to three. Um, again, Envision is really great. The blogs I subscribe to all, and then filter them out as I see what kind of content <laughs> they put in. Um, for development, I really like uh, Smashing Magazine. They have a series of books called Smashing Book. Um, Smashing Books, they just put out book six, which goes into progressive web apps and service workers. It's Each chapter is written by a different industry leader. Um, and then I also like Wes Boss for training. Um, he's really good at you know explaining complex systems like React and Node. Um, but yeah, so blogs and Books and West Boss. Mm-hmm. Yes, Boss. Yes, yes
2: Boss. West <laughs> boss. The, the West Boss stuff is really cool because it's really it's highly interactive. Mm-hmm. So you do you do his training on the web, and it's all like and it tells you like what you're doing right and wrong and right in the editor right there. So, yeah. Is it literally
3: two
5: names, West like West, West name? Boss? His okay. name
3: is West Boss. Yeah. West.
5: Boss is his last name.
4: Yeah. B yeah. oh S.
5: Oh, one S
4: it would be cool if was two S's though, right? I yeah. thought it like, West yeah. Boss yeah. but yeah. Ross
5: is
0: more boss. symmetrical.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, as someone who gets a paycheck from Microsoft and Lynda.com, that's me. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend, you know, the lynda.com stuff, which is now part of LinkedIn Learning, which is part of Microsoft. Um, there are a lot of great there's a lot of great resources there. There's a ton of stuff that goes on in Vancouver here. Mm-hmm. That, like, there's the uh, Vantechy was an organization, there's the Code and Learn, there's one that's happening at Gravitate on December 5th called uh, Web Optimization Vancouver or Vancouver Web Optimization, something like that. Uh, the Google Developer channel on YouTube is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned about, um, I forgot what I learned about, but it was a really good thing and getting to what bob said earlier during the summer we ran uh a summer academy at Clark that was open to the public and we had anywhere from 15 to 35 people from the community uh come and learn things like uh react github um uh, we did one on bootstrap we did uh automating things with python again a lot of a lot of local stuff going on around here
0: and it's highly highly recommended so um yeah I would say Skillshare yep. um, is one that I've used quite a bit, Beautiful. and yep, uh, specifically Aaron Draplin's uh, tutorials for logo design are pretty amazing. Um, if you go through and follow along, he's got like four or five up there. Um,
2: D r a p l i n.
0: Yeah, he's he's got um, that's just a great resource, uh, Skillshare and. Honestly, Google, YouTube, it's situational. I mean, it comes it comes down to sometimes what am I trying to accomplish? Um, I just did this because I'm working on a project code codenamed Phoenix for Web4, and um, I'm trying to figure out a cool way to design the blog. And so I went around doing that thing where I'm like, 16 best blog <laughs> ideas for 2018. But then I'm looking, oh, that circle is kind of cool over here, and... Oh, I like this rounded corner over here that they're showing. Oh, and I like this other piece. And then I try and mesh this thing together. So uh, for me, it's Google, blogs, YouTube, and Skillshare. I'm going
1: to add a couple tools in there too. Um, uh, load time is critical on websites, so GT Metrics will uh, test the load time of your website, give you a lot of recommendations to improve it free account will actually let you compare to and see previous crawls. It'll take a video of it so you can see when the first uh, contentful paint shows up. That's when you actually see something visual. Um, uh, Browser stack. Oh yeah, yeah. Browser stack gives you all the different browsers. Run it. It'll it'll run all the different browsers for you. So you can see accessibility across all the different browsers. Uh, And then Screaming Frog for SEO purposes. It's free. Um, You should definitely have, yeah, Reddy's like, yes! Uh, <laughs> the, uh, screaming frog uh, is free you can crawl the website it'll give you all the the metadata the semantic markup uh, whether there's schema being utilized the meta
3: descriptions the loads t- uh, all this great data so cyber monday get your digital deals yeah and nobody mentioned the w3c yeah That's, w3 schools yeah. there's a lot of information there's well some, you don't like the information <laughs> no, it's you good it's but wrong? it's a good starting point
4: it's it, it does a lot. There's yeah. a lot of. Tools it's good to piggyback off of, for sure. Yeah. But I have a question.
2: If yeah. You have
4: a developer team, and you're
2: working on a private project. How how would you share the the materials
3: between the sure. developers? That's a great question. What's the start? Uh, we have an in-house server with all the files, so everything gets pushed to the server. I mean, most of it's. uh the developers kind of stand alone, and they're going to be looking at other resources. But for the most part, you know what your ecosystem is, and where to go find the pieces when you need them. So having a common place where all of that lives, uh, you know, whether it's a knowledge base of some sort or a server that you store things on, um, or you just if you're missing something, ask <laughs> <laughs> or a USB key. <laughs> <thing. laughs> <laughs> But GitHub for code, if if that's kind of what you're asking, private GitHub account, or your own dev server.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Any other questions before I go on? One of the things we run into a lot is um, clients like, "Hey, I want the website," but after that, like, I don't. They don't really think about maintenance of the website and things like that. And then you have uh, sites getting hacked, which. We've seen a fair amount uh, of that happen, uh, especially when they're on shared hosting and things like that. So what are you guys' recommendations around, uh, I guess I'll make it a two-part question, both like ongoing maintenance as well as security, and some of this could, you know,
3: there's there's the design side as well as dev, so who wants to take that? Uh I'll start. I'll just say, think ahead when you're building it. Most of that stuff can be in- implemented from the start. Um, Depends on if you're doing like a lot of back-end security, or if you want out-of-the-box security. Like It depends on the budget. Um, iThemes security is really good for WordPress, just as like, a low-key plug-and-play, check some boxes. But um, yeah, if you think ahead and don't exploit yourself from the get-go, get-go you're probably not going to get hacked. Like. It, it, it is a big topic, but I really haven't seen it on most of the sites I've built. just build it secure from the start think ahead.
0: Well, the other piece of that is keeping things up to date. Keep things up to. date. You know plugins, theme files, yeah. that sort of thing to reduce the injection possibilities and lock tumples. it down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: monthly retainers to, to uh, check in on that site on a monthly basis or have some monitoring set up. That's one thing I've always done with customers. They pay X amount of dollars per month, and they they can use me for whatever they want.
4: Yeah, I was I was gonna say that too. It really becomes a business question, right? So like a, a business owner's in here. It's like you're a business owner. You know, you, your website should be used as a tool for your business, right? It's an extension of your brand, and it's make that investment in it. Like a lot of people, you know, like we we over the years, you have the clients you talk to, you and like they just want the. The MVP, which is not a bad thing. I'm, I, I knocked it earlier, but it, you know, like it's it, it's good. But you want to have something that serves your business well. So see it as an as a tool or an investment in it. So it means you know, like you might have a developer who you have on retainer, or like a maintenance plan that you might purchase from your your dev team or something like that. We do that. We sell, we resell uh, maintenance plans, and it's the best thing you can sell for somebody because it's like an insurance plan for your website. If something goes wrong, and you don't have to worry about like how you're going to fix it or scrounge together the, the precious dollars to do it you're going to make that investment now just to say hey somebody's on retainer to fix it update your plugins update wordpress for you and then even you know your design team might even you know your website should be like this living breathing organism right it's a, it's a, it's going to evolve with you and your business and so you don't want to redo it like from scratch every single year or two or three you want to have something you can just build upon and so making that investment and seeing it as a business decision that's going to an invest in your business is going to you know help grow your business then you want to take the time to, you know, have somebody who's there to help update it and maintain it with you.
3: My full-time job is a maintenance developer. All yeah. I do is maintenance retainers, uh, building out new features to the websites. And, yeah, it is an investment. Like, you're going to pay a little bit more, but your site's never going to get hacked. You want to back up, something goes wrong, you click the wrong button. Same day, turnaround.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and to, to, I mean, you you hit on something I wanted to mention as well which is just that idea that we used to build sites in a way that was like we built it we did it and then we're done and then we're good but uh it's not it, it shouldn't be that way anymore it should be an ongoing tweaking and testing and data analysis and improving and part of that is yeah making sure that there's some kind of maintenance piece in place because the at first, it, you know, you, you say that to a client, they're like, you know, you're just trying to get, like, a monthly retainer out of me. Like, I don't want to, I don't need that. But that's not the point. The point is if your site gets hacked, you don't have a, a backup <laughs> somewhere, a, except for one that maybe was done eight months ago when you first deployed the site. You lose all the stuff that you've done to the site up to that point. Maybe you've, you know, written uh, 25, 30 blogs on there, and you've got to try and find that through archive.org. So it's better just to protect it. Uh, on a regular basis to avoid those sort of situations because it's going to cost you more in the end I'll give you guys just a quick
1: example of how important this is We had a client come to us because one of our previous clients mo- or they moved over and started this company Called up and said we need your help and I looked them up on Google and it says this site may be hacked on Google so no one's going to come to your website when it says this site may be hacked. Their Google ads also stopped running because Google's not going to send people to the website through their ads uh, because it's not against it's against their guidelines. So their ad stopped. Their business went like this. They had to start letting people go. She reached out to us. And even before we brought them as a client, got up on that weekend, cleaned everything up because I knew how important it was. I'm like, your business is, you know, just bleeding at the, 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 the seams, right? So that's how important it is. Like your business should be should be your number one generator for most businesses it's not all but a lot of businesses is going to be the number one generator so make sure you protect that for sure um, i think we got time for probably one more question one yeah
3: quick so you, you mentioned the word it's an insurance policy right? yeah so if it does break is that typically included in the retainer right if something
4: depends on gets... I mean, so that but I, I know a lot of times you know like we'll sell something that includes like a certain amount of block of hours each month right so the, the developer's going to go through and update you know i would probably have a better question for you since that's the world be live
3: in but yeah i'd say majority of the time it is there are a few edge cases where it's right. like well why did you do that like, <laughs> why did you delete your repo i can't do anything about that right. like if you wipe everything like well it's, i'm just like, thinking i mean insurance replaces something that's sure. lost yeah so I yeah to roll back to a state that. where it worked you know or fix patch the problem like was it you know an, an update that we weren't aware of like a lot of times there are things that just the web is constantly updating itself and things naturally break and so you know it's like we'll be reactive to it you know like if you notice it happen i'll fix it for you but i'm not gonna i'm not on your website every day like (laughs) making sure it works and there's there is a ton of you know when you when you sign up for these you get reporting on it we have statuses on uptimes downtimes uh has there been a code change? Who made it? Why? Like, we can track all of that in analytics and other logging systems.
2: So you make a claim with an insurance company, nothing's guaranteed by that insurance company, right? So
1: I think we have time for one more question. So I wanted to focus on something that is been really hot topic for many years, but it's even coming more important because people are uh, if, if you go to a website and it takes more than three seconds to load, the latest data says that uh, 53% of people will exit the site if it takes more than three seconds to load. The average website uh, across the web loads it somewhere around 7 point something seconds. So what can... You know, people do web developers or businesses do to make sure that their website is is loading quickly, both from best practices and or other tools. Anything you have to share with that because that's such a critical element and often one of the first things that can have a major impact for a business.
4: Uh, For me, from I'll I'll just start and we can go down. For me, from like simple design standpoint, is is like what? How are you? where, Where are you sourcing your design components from? So the biggest thing is like you know you're. Google Fonts type kit or whatever like you know like like if a designer says we just had this happen that's why it's fresh is you know like the website had fonts pulling in from three different sites. You know, like <laughs> like that, that's not going to work, right? You have to you have to, you have to kind of make consolidated choices about how where where your design components come from, or you know how those or your image sizes. You know, you're thinking like people love that big hero image, right? It's the full screen, and they want to look super crisp and HD on Retina displays and everything like that. You know, so what does that mean? That's like a two thousand pixel wide image. You know, like well, what's that going to do to your site load time? So so thinking about those things that as a designer from a design standpoint. Think about all those design components and how those come together make a site and how that might impact site load time that's huge
3: yeah i would agree with that i'm going to say uh compress what you can um you know minify your javascript uh images like you said are huge you can switch you know the source of the image depending on connection type you can you can track all of that but upload the correct image size beforehand and you're probably not going to see many issues um, i use a tool called guzzly from google It's just like insanely compresses images. Um, They have an interface, I use the command line tool, but optimize your images before you even upload them because yeah, people will upload a 5,400 wide image. For a social icon. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's crazy, it really is crazy. That's the biggest mistake I see is image size.
2: Yeah, I got to use a content delivery network uh, like AWS or something like that, if you 're delivering content around the world and you want to mm-hmm. make sure your content loads to someone in Guangzhou, China, then make sure you have your content sitting on an AWS node somewhere in that region. The other thing I have is use responsive images make sure you 're uh, serving up the proper properly sized image to the to the device uh, viewport that the user is using
0: to tie everything together and go back to trends and best practices. It might be super fancy to have an email collector pop up and a live chat feature and uh, Jane Doe saw that this other site had a video and it was like 30 seconds and it looped. You start cramming all that stuff into your site and it's slowing down, slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. So you have to be mindful about all the features and uh, develop lean. Develop as lean as you can. It's tough because you're going to have maybe a marketing campaign going. You might have some call tracking, and you might have some other scripts and things that need to run, but try and keep it as lean as possible. And also think about uh, the, the, the analytics around device usage. Because we, we do have clients that are still 70% desktop, uh, 30% mobile. Then we have clients that are like 55%, 60% mobile. So you have to think about those things, too. Let's give a big round of hand for our panelists tonight.